Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. Today's episode is a bit different. Um, it's an interview with Alex Svetsky, a conversation about Bitcoin. And inevitably, the conversation about Bitcoin um, is a much bigger conversation about money, about society, about the future of mankind. This episode is a two-part episode. So the first part, we will talk about um, why Bitcoin, the history of money, um, our relationship to money, how we evolved with money, and how powerful it is to shape and influence society, for better or worse. Um, part two will cover the application of Bitcoin, more practical stuff like how to buy, um, what apps, things like fees, and yeah, all the rest of it. Alex is a pretty incredible human. He has completely transformed the way that I relate to money and finances and has really inspired me to become quite passionate about Bitcoin and understanding cryptocurrency in a completely different way than I had in the past. It is a very, very big topic. Um, we did run out of time to get to all the questions, hence the two-part episode, but I hope you get a lot from this and I hope it inspires you like it did me um, to connect with finances and money in a different way because really as hopefully you take from this episode, there is such potential for the way we relate to our finances and financial sovereignty to reclaim um, our power on this earth. So I hope you enjoy and there were a few technical difficulties. Alex is currently in Colombia and I'm in Mexico. This was actually the second take we had to do because of internet problems on take one. Um, but it's still a great episode. So mind, don't mind the slight interruptions uh, here and there and editing. But yeah, enjoy. So Bitcoin is often seen as something that is risky. It's something that is maybe just foreign to people, um, lumped into the category of, you know, all crypto is the same, or maybe it's kind of like playing the stock market. They see a lot of ups and downs. Um, having learned from you quite a bit, I think you're probably going to have to scale it back to like where money began and what money maybe is. Um, yeah, take us back to the beginning. How can people understand... Okay. Um, Bitcoin and crypto maybe in a way that is uh, truer than what a lot is being perpetuated by the media. Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe maybe let's try and do this one interactively then, so people feel like they're yeah, a little cool. bit involved. So, um, I mean, m maybe before you started listening to me ramble, um, you know, in podcasts and all that sort of stuff, like how would you have interpreted or defined money? Like, did did you? what was your inkling back then? yeah there's a there was a big um money is evil mentality so mm -hmm. you know money is the root of all evil um the greed thing that we're all using it it's kind of pushing materialism and greed it's um definitely a problem in terms of like holding value like kind of you got to buy something to so that that increases in value because with inflation which I'm not very financially minded, but I do know that with inflation, money's value goes down. So it's kind of like holding money in the bank has never been a good thing. It's just going to go mm -hmm. down in value. So it's kind of like spend it mentality. Um, and then that's pretty much it. I mean, that's really all I knew. The stock market is a risky thing. Um, and it's just kind of, it was all over my head. 
the the, the concept mm-hmm, of investing mm-hmm. it was that's me for me is like one day I'd like to buy land so I should probably save to do that there was no there's no I ne- never really give it too much thought to be honest apart from this general notion that money is associated with kind of everything that's bad with society and mm-hmm. you've changed that for me in a big way <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad mm-hmm. yeah I think I th- I think what you just said there nails it um, and is the experience for a lot of people. And and it was the experience for me as well, you know, all, all throughout my life. I think anyone who's got some level of, um, you know, how can I say responsible consciousness, if we should say it that way, is um, is kind of concerned with the consumerism, the um, the financialization of the world, you know, the, the elimination of meaning um, and it's, you know, replacement with um, with some sort of, blind empty pursuit of um i don't know happiness or you know material possession all this sort of stuff and and what they do is they they end up conflating that with um with the definition of money with you know i I know capitalism for example is just so 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 poorly defined um even people i respect like um what's his name uh the other day did a post on this um carnivore aurelius you know he's like you know blah 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 and then you know saying that we're an ultra capitalized society and i was like no 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 no. we're an ultra consumerist society um in an ultra capitalist society you would have an extraordinary amount of production an extraordinary extraordinary amount of work you would have like you know the, the the idea of capitalism is actually innate it's it's almost tied to our biology as human beings is what we do is we take resources we take the time that we have and we take the limited energy that we have and we transform it into something of higher order value that somebody else may value that is the process of capitalism you know capital is literally defined as time energy and resources and what do we want to do with time energy and resources we want to use them more effectively and more efficiently that's literally what capitalism is um i couldn't think of anything more natural more pure and more um, meaningful to reach for as a human species um and because it's been poorly defined and because we've confused things like consumerism and stupidity and financialization etc with capitalism we have a extraordinarily bad relationship with money Um, we don't know how to define it we don't know how to appreciate it Um, we think it's the root of all evil you know um we you know, we we believe it's the, the the cause of all the problems, and 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 in some ways, the cause of all the problems piece actually has some truth in it. Obviously, it's like if you can corrupt the money, um, you then corrupt everything else, um, and and that kind of that thread is probably where I'd like to pull on um, to to maybe help people here understand uh, what money is. So before I get into that, can I ask you? how your um perception or your definition of money has evolved over time like how how do you view it now as a thing um well as a direct result of what i've learned from you and listening to you speak about particularly about bitcoin is that it's actually like the revolution that we're all looking for and it's the salvation that we're all looking for if um the corruptible nature of our current money system is fixed so that basically the way that our most of our society is structured is that the closer you are to the money printer, um, the more benefit you have f- financially. And that has really distorted the way that 
all of society, all like the domino effect of that is just catastrophic for everyone because it, it, it breeds more corruption. So if you can print money, creates a bigger um, separation between the people that are close to the money printer and the people who aren't. And it creates like a distorted incentive to um, like to concentrate power, I guess, up in that area near where the money's being printed. And everyone else who's maybe has bad, better intentions and whose um, production is maybe if a, if a, with a purer intention, that just falls by the wayside because it's a rat race that you can't really win unless you are, like I said, close. Well, like you said, actually close to the money printer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the name to what you're talking about there is called the Cantillon effect. So if mm -hmm. anyone's listening to this and wants to look that up, um, the Cantillon effect just means um, there is a, there is a process whereby being close to the monetary spigot, as you said, being close to where the money supply is actually being um, issued you get a natural, um, I guess, benefit out of that because you're the first one with the money. And by the time the excess money filters through the rest of the economy, um, the money's purchasing power has diminished, but you get its full purchasing power now because you're first. And then the incentive then skews toward you wanting to create more of that because you're just basically playing a game of monopoly where all the other players... Um, you know, have to play by the rules, but you've got your hand in the in the bank. Like, and you just keep pulling the money out. Like, like none of the other players can beat you. Mm. No fucking way. And you know, the incentive then is for the other players instead of to play an honest game, the incentive is to build alliances with you because you're unbeatable, um, so that they can get a little bit of a handout as well. Um, and you end up with this distorted, fucked up version of the game of Monopoly, which is not about skill. Um, or at least it's not about production. It's about taking skill, taking ingenuity, taking intellect and diverting all of that energy into how do I get as close as possible to the monetary, uh, to money figure. Mm. And that, and that really distorts society. But before, before we dig in there though, like, how do you like knowing that, how do you now define money? Just, just purely money itself. Like how, how do you define it personally now? Ooh, I'm probably going to go too esoteric for the, the likes of our conversation, but I, I would say it's just energy. Um, it's mm -hmm. a of energy and it's a representation of, of output in society of what you, of what you put out into society of your time and effort. Yeah. Yeah. Literally you, you nailed it. So I think that this is where people's, um, I guess, toxic relationship with money can just not only do, um, just general damage uh, because, you know, there's this basically mass um, misunderstanding of money, but it actually does, I think, psychological damage to people at a subconscious level because they have a bad relationship with money is they think it's evil. So you don't want to have anything that's evil around you, you know, so you push it away. And I think that's really dangerous for a lot of people. You know, if, if you, if we think about what you just said, it's like money's, you know, energy, like I, the way I like to, explain money to people is it's it's been here since the beginning of time and it'll be here until the end of time um we need as human beings a method to measure as you said our our input like how the fuck do you measure like what i do and what you do and what everybody else does like you know people walk around and say barter was a form of money and it, like it never was you know money exists money is a technology to solve what is called the problem of the coincidence of wants 
meaning that you want something, I want something, everyone else wants something, but it's impossible for what we all want um, simultaneously to be traded amongst each other at the same fucking time. Because like, if you have bananas and I have apples, but I don't want a fucking banana now, I want a steak, that, that there's a lack of coincidence of wants at that point in time. So we need to solve it somehow. So we need to be able to measure productivity, goods and services in some sort of um, common language. And that's what money is. Yeah, definitely. And especially in terms of like back to the spiritual concept that like money is evil, there would be no creative, there'd be no creative industry without a form of money. Because if it really, if really we had to survive on barter, it would be purely food, like the bare necessities, right? As soon as you write a book, right? I write, if I write a book and I need to eat and I sell my book to the, you know, maybe what there's 15 people in the area that serve food. Once they've got my book, <laughs> I'm done. So the, the spiritual community in particular could not thrive without mm-hmm. a form of exchange like that. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. So, so what you're talking about there in terms of like riding in these higher pursuits, that's sort of like the movement up the Maslow's hierarchy. And, and what that does is it requires like complexity to develop in society, but you can't create complexity without being able to codify the, the time and energy that we input into society and do it in such a way that we're all on a common language that we can all, you know, store and transact later. And, and that's effectively if you really want to think about what money is, money is just this technology that enables human beings to store the product of their labor and to exchange it at some point, um, solving the coincidence of once and creating abstra- uh, complexity in society. So that's that's super important to understand. So if we think about then, you know, what the ingredients then are of money, it's like it's time, energy, and resources. That's really, you know, the, the, the ingredients at least that represent or maybe I should rephrase that, that they are the, they are the core ingredients of reality that money tries to help us measure the mm-hmm. value of. Mm-hmm. So if we place it like that, so, so knowing that, you know, if you look at the history of humanity, you, you could really distill the history of humanity as a pursuit of uh, discovering better forms of money. And in doing so, creating more complex, more, um, more advanced societies. And you see that, you know, we, we started off, you know, maybe, maybe there was elements of like really, 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 really localized barter, but really where money started was just, I mean, money, money helped language emerge uh, in the sense that we would count what people did. Mm. And the first sort of cave drawings that we find uh, like old ancient ledgers of like, you know, this person picked up an apple, uh, this one, clean the fucking cave and this one went out and hunted the beast you know whatever like it was just a measurement it was a, a way to keep accounting um and and that's what we've always had to do because we need we need a way to collaborate um if we don't collaborate the only other mechanism for survival is to beat each other over the head with fucking clubs um and take the other person's shit and and that that's a subtractive method of uh social interaction versus collaboration is a is a multiplicative effective um social interaction so yeah we went from cave writings then we you know we we came out of the fucking cave and we you know started finding objects and tools to represent 
this thing called money, you know, so, Hey, you know, how about we use rocks and then shells and then this and then that. And as, as this sort of thing called money kept evolving, kept emerging, we just found objects with better and better properties that could perform the function of money. And the function of money is three, there's three functions. There is the ability to store value, the ability to exchange it, and the ability to measure other goods and services with it. That is the unit of account function. So, so to, to, to perform those functions, a money, the object that we use as money required a series of attributes. It needs to be durable. Like, you know, if, you're, if all your money is salt and then it rains and your fucking salt melts, sorry, but, you know, the, the store of value function ain't so good. You know, salt was good for a medium exchange because it's easily portable and all that sort of stuff, but it's not durable. So, you know, it need, the money needs to be portable. Um, you know, you need to be carrying it around with you. If money was houses, you can't carry a fucking house with you. Um, so it needs to be... Um, it needs to be divisible. This is why cows never really worked as money because, you know, if you only want a banana, what are you going to do? Chop the fucking cow's toe off? Like, that doesn't work. So you need divisibility. You need um, you need recognizability. Like, if it's going to, if it's going to be, remember this language that we all use, mm -hmm. if half of us don't recognize the language, it's not a very useful, you know, language. So, um, so it needs recognizability, portability, durability, uh, what else did I say? Divisibility. Um, and then one really, really, really important one that people seem to miss and completely misunderstand in today's day and age is the scarcity element. Mm -hmm. And this, therein kind of lies the reason why, um, why gold actually won as money. But if you think about the scarcity piece, Nick Zabo talks about it in his, um, in his essay called Shelling Out, which I recommend everybody read. And he talks about how shells emerged as money, but not just shells in their natural form as you find them on the beach. But what we would do is we would take these shells and we would carve them and turn them into bracelets. And the amount of notches on the bracelet would be a way to measure wealth uh, over time. So, you know, these, these thick shell bracelets actually became representative of early, early money. And that's actually also how jewelry emerged as something that was valuable because we would mm, wear that on cool. us. So, so, you know, jewelry has its uh, origins in money, not the other way around, um, which is also why gold is used in jewelry, not, not because of anything other than the fact that gold was used as money first, not mm. as jewelry first. Um, so anyway, um, the more of these attributes that a money, that an object meets, the better it can perform the function of store of value, medium exchange, and unit of account. Um, and then the more people that use it, the more liquid it becomes. And the kind of self-reinforcing nature of money or the self-reinforcing nature of any language is that the more people use it, the more nodes there are on this network. You can think of the network as a communication medium, as an economic system, whatever, the more useful the money becomes um, and the more, the more functional it allows, the, the more functional it makes society because when the money is a standard, we can then focus on producing, creating value, creating more complexity and doing all that sort of stuff so that we can earn more of the money. Cooperating. We can cooperate more. 
Correct. Correct. And that and that that's exactly the whole raison d'etre for for money's existence. Now, if we look at that history again, you know, we see we finally emerged um, onto gold, and we emerged onto gold everywhere. Like whether it was Europe, whether it was Asia, whether it was um, the Americas, whatever, everyone emerged onto gold. And gold just has some really unique properties. The, the main one being the fact that it's chemically inert at, um, sorry, it's chemically inert and uh, it, is, um, it is solid and stable at room temperature. Like those two things make gold fucking phenomenal. And what that actually also tells me is that if there's aliens out there in the universe, they will also get onto a gold standard because it's a, you know, it's a universal element. Like they will have to discover a mechanism to cooperate and collaborate. Mm -hmm. And if they go through the same process as we went through finding objects in the ground, they will also converge onto gold as being the best, not because somebody said so, but Mm -hmm. because it is objectively superior. Gold doesn't melt in the rain. You know, it's small it's heavy, it's recognizable, it's portable. Um, you know, it's not very easily divisible, but it's divisible enough to use. Um, and as a result, like it, it is, you know, as good as it gets when it comes to physical money. The problem is gold failed in a couple areas. Um, number one being, as I said, it's, you know, it's kind of divisible, but it's not so well divisible that, as society continues to increase in wealth, mm-hmm. the same amount of gold buys more and more stuff, which is how things should happen, right? So, so a natural innovative society is actually deflationary in nature. Everything comes down in price. Shit mm-hmm. doesn't go up in fucking price. Like when you create something better, when you can do something with, when you can do more with less, what should happen? The price should come fucking down. Like, mm-hmm. like that is perfectly natural. But in doing so, you know, the, we, we got to the point where we would have to like sh- shave bits of gold off right. a nugget in order to pay for something. So that's not very useful. So we came up with the bright idea of, okay, how about we just put the gold in a vault and let's just issue paper against it um, because then we can make gold more divisible and also actually make it more portable because it's just easier to carry around paper than it is to carry around gold. And that was a great idea. Um, and at the time, it was the best idea that we could come up with. But as humans do when they institutionalize anything, is that those who hold the key to the institution can change the rules and start fucking with things. And what we started doing was we started issuing more paper than there was gold. And if we just go back to what the definition of money is, money is the object that represents, you know, or that attempts to measure as accurately as possible time, energy, and natural resources, which are scarce and finite in nature. If you can go and create more money out of nothing, um, it does no, it no longer maps to what money's, you know, reason for existence is. So, so you don't like, you're not actually creating more wealth. What you're doing is you're, the, the wealth that the economy has is still the same. It's just being measured with more numbers. Like, so it's like almost like changing the fucking definition of an inch to being the length of half an inch. And now saying we've got double the length because we have double the inches. No, you don't like the, the length didn't fucking change. You have the same amount of length, but now you have double the inches. So 
Could you elaborate on how um, that affects inflation? Basically, that is inflation, right? The printing of money is inflation. So you earn a certain amount of dollars per hour, say, and you're saving your money. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, the bank, well, the money printer, which isn't exactly the bank, the government prints money. Who is that exactly? How exactly does that work? That 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 is a whole convoluted process that there's been you know many books written about. That mm-hmm. it it is a mixture of the governments, the central banks, and mm-hmm. the retail banks. Like they all create money out of thin air. So money is printed. Let's just put it that way. Money is printed. Someone gave the the thumbs up to money being printed. And so what happens to the money? There's more money supply. Mm-hmm. So let, let's do let's do an easy example. So let's say you, me, and uh, say how many other people? Let, let's just say you, me, and eight other people. So there's 10 people in our economy, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have, let's just say $10. So there's, this economy is worth $100 and the current productive capacity of this economy is $100. So then let's say nothing changes tomorrow. We're still producing $100 worth of whatever, bananas, apples, whatever we produce in our little economy. But then I go, I'm, I'm the banker. I go and create another $100. So now there's $200 in the economy, but I hold that 100 first, okay? What ends up happening is now the productive capacity of this economy hasn't changed. Yesterday, we all owned one-tenth of all the wealth today i've added a hundred dollars now i have a hundred and ten dollars and you guys all still have ten so now you have one twentieth of the total productive capacity of the economy right so your purchasing power has just been cut in half and i've enriched myself so now me i had originally one tenth of the economy as well now i have 55 percent of the economy Mm -hmm. because i have 55 percent of all the money so I've enriched myself and because all systems are closed in nature um, and economy is a closed system, for me to have 55, to go from 10% to 55% of the economy, all of you have to go from 10% down to 5%. So I've extracted wealth from you and I've enriched myself purely by just creating money out of thin. And so, I mean, this is really the concept of the rich get richer because as a result, prices increase over time to meet the new money supply. And yet wages don't really increase at the same rate that prices are increasing. So people who are closer to that capacity of being, you know, near the money printer get richer and everyone else kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so think about it, our, our little group of 10 again. Mm-hmm. So let's say in that little group of 10, so I'm the banker, I just created all this extra money. So now there's a couple close to me that are, you know, let's say big business, they're mm-hmm. friends with the banker and they say, Hey, motherfucker, you just increased the money supply. So you just impoverished me. So I'm going to increase the, um, the price of my goods because you've got all this extra money. So now they increase the price of the goods um, in order to make their businesses still viable um, because remember, survival is like, you know, the, the outcome here, whether it's as an individual, as a company, as an institution, whatever, like all entities trying to survive. So they increase the prices. Um, so, so they kind of managed to dampen some of their inflationary effect. They mm-hmm. might not dampen it all, but they dampen some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in increasing the prices for this person, you know, the banker, 
they've increased the price to everyone else, but the money hasn't flowed through to everyone else yet. So all of a sudden, everybody else is experiencing this increase in the cost of goods and services. So then next to those big businesses, then there's sort of medium-sized enterprises and they're like, fuck, we've got to increase our cost. So they do it. And by the time it gets to the person who's earning a salary, who's fucking last, you know, that it, it takes years. It, it might take a decade for that to, to occur. We, we don't, we, it's, it's, and it's also, it's impossible to measure that, that time, uh, you know, that time lag um, mm. or, that sort of the, the difference between, you know, the money being printed here and then the, the prices increasing here and then the wages increasing. But what we do know is the closer you are to the monetary spigot, um, the, the faster that happens. Well, is it too much of a leap to go into it from inflation into why Bitcoin is the revolution and the solution? Do you think that? Um, yeah, no, not, not too much. So, so let's maybe just, um, just, Add just one final point just yeah. to really demarcate Layer it on. That, I'm, I must say you're like the way that you've layered things. I've heard you speak about things really just it makes so much sense in a way that is like clear to me and such a shift in understanding just finances in general. So layer Thank as you. much as you need to because okay. it's important. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, so, OK, so so the, the, the piece that I'll just sort of. Um, tie off the inflation part with is all money throughout history has been subject to inflation, even gold, right? So, so what we've done is like, in order to make gold more useful, um, we created coinage, right? Um, And the reason we did that is like, like if you're just an, a, a person in the ancient days, like with a piece of gold, like how did you measure how much gold and any good or service was worth, right? Like you didn't just carry a fucking scale around with you. Like, yeah, some merchants had scales and, you know, maybe those primitive ways of doing that. But realistically, in order to standardize gold and in order to make it more useful, we created coinage. And, you know, the the emperor, whoever would like stamp the coin um, and it would guarantee that there was this much gold in that coin by weight. And that was able to allow. So, so when you have standardization, you can create complexity and you see that in basically everything like, you know, the the whole reason why we have, you know, specific size of train tracks came from the Romans actually standardizing the distance between the, the wheels on carriages like in that standardization has lasted you know we've created language standards like english is a standard of five vowels and 21 consonants like so that standard allows us then to create all sorts of complexity in language in the way we express ourselves so in order to make money useful we have to standardize it but in the process of standardization we open the door for manipulation basically and and that has happened all throughout history so the word debasing a currency which is the original form of inflation comes from the fact that you would have a base metal for a currency um, in a coin so you'd have gold or silver or whatever and then some genius retard of an emperor um, or king or whatever would then say fuck we're running out of money because i'm poorly managing my territory um, i'm not managing it economically uh, neither efficiently or effectively uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to swap from each coin instead of, you know, 100% gold, it's going to be 90% gold and 10%, I don't know, copper, then 80%, then 70%, then 60%. And all of a sudden they, they debase the currency to the point where no one trusts the currency anymore. The promise was broken. The promise of standardization is broken and people flee and they go back to what? They go back to pure gold, 
as, mm. as close as possible to real money as possible. So that's happened every single time. And if you look at the fall of every single empire, every single civilization, it's all been tied to the fucking with the money every single time. Um, even when they've just been on a gold standard and not debased the money, they've still managed to inflate the money. And this happened with the Spaniards, right? So the Spanish went to South America. They found the Indians. They realized the Indians had a bunch of gold. So they stole all the gold and they brought it back to Spain. And unbeknownst to them, they actually ruined themselves because what they did was they didn't increase the productive capacity of their own local economy. They actually introduced a bunch of new gold. So the price of gold internally collapsed mm. and they actually impoverished themselves in doing so. And that's actually how the Spanish, who were the most powerful empire at the time, they actually fucked themselves over because uh, the English and the French had a harder monetary standard. Um, they they didn't just overinflate themselves. So you can inflate basically everything. And this is, I guess, you know, money, paper money was up until now the easiest way, the easiest thing to inflate because, you know, paper has a very low nominal cost. You just print more of it. But I mean, they, they've, you know, the, the idiot governments and institutions and bureaucrats have reached kind of like the zenith of the capacity to issue cheap money, which is, digital money which costs zero to create more of and that's the that's the level of fraud we're at today is we are not increasing productive capacity if anything the world is regressing like we are sucking sucking dry the capital that we've built over thousands of years um, we're actually eroding the capital base of society we are anti-capitalism at the moment um, but we have never had more money than we've had today because i mean like these motherfuckers just push a button and they print $2 trillion. Like $2 trillion is traditionally something that nobody could, no country could ever spend in a fucking, you know, ever. Now it's something that they spend every couple months because the, the money is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. And that's where I guess I could tie this into Bitcoin is like Bitcoin represents a money that is basically bound by or tied to whichever way you want to define it the kind of like the, the physical laws of the universe in particular like thermodynamics like it is something that through using and blending probability uh proof of work um cryptography the law of large numbers and all of that sort of stuff like it's created this monetary network with a monetary unit that you can't create more of and that you can't co-opt um, that has a natural standardization in it um, that is digital or be even beyond digital. It's information in, in its very, at, at its very essence. So that way you can't turn it off. Like you and I and no government on the planet can turn off the law of gravity, nor that can they turn off the number three or the letter B. Like you, you just can't turn that shit off. That, that's what exists. It's fucking information. So Bitcoin has managed or Satoshi or whatever, like the, the emergent phenomenon that is Bitcoin has managed to take the idea, the concept of money and place it into the realm of the physical laws of the universe that can't be changed, co-opted or fucked with. And for the first time in history, we have a money that is a standard that actually represents what we wanted it to represent in the first place, which is time, money and energy. Can you short form introduce those who don't know the story behind Bitcoin, how it came to be? And yeah, so, why 
as yeah. yeah why it's so safe since it's not run by a specific individual yeah i mean we could go all the way back to bloody Friedrich Hayek, who was an Austrian economist who, you know, I think it was in the 70s or whatever, or 80s, he said, um, we will never, uh, we'll never again have a good money until we uh, take it away from the government in a sly roundabout way. Like that, that was, I'm, I'm paraphrasing his quote, but, you know, the, 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 the vision for a non-government issued money or a non-institution issued money um, was always like a vision basically of the Austrian economists. They all defaulted to gold because gold's, you know, properties. And they all defaulted to this idea of basically a free banking system, which was, all right, let the banks compete, but prove the reserves they have of gold. Um, and if they want to do fractional reserve lending and they want to play funny buggers and everything, allow them to, but the market will bankrupt them because people will lose faith in that particular bank and they'll pull mm. their money from there and they'll go somewhere that's fully reserved. So, so that was, that was the idea. And where, like, a, a lot of that inspiration kind of led to this idea of um, technologists and what were called cypherpunks in, like, the 80s and 90s, talking about this idea of, hey, as technology continues to get more advanced, um, it seems to becoming, be, be becoming, you know, more centralised and more, more um, prone to coercion or control by a particular group or a single group or something like that. And... They, they pinpointed two things, basically, in, in the cypherpunk manifesto written by a guy called Tim May. Um, and this was basically a group of technologists, philosophers, um, you know, economists, anarchists, um, coders, mathematicians, you know, just polymaths, right, who wanted to kind of ensure that the world doesn't become a fucking dystopia, right? And the, the two goals that they kind of set out to, to help push forth was private communication. So they said, you know, without the capacity to speak freely, um, we will not have a free society. And in order to speak freely, you must have a mechanism to speak privately. Because it's only when speech is private that it's free. Like mm -hmm. if you know someone's fucking listening to you, you're not speaking privately, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're not speaking freely. So, so private communication was like one big pillar. Um, and the second big pillar was a non-government issued money um, that was, you know, outside of the capacity for anyone to, to corrupt or control, to manipulate. And the, the, first, the first goal, the, the, um, the communication one, that was, that was achieved um, through really good encryption um, and through basically standardizing and open sourcing encryption standards, things like PGP for example uh, called pretty good privacy like that was that that underpins like a lot of uh, modern private communication so like you know if you've heard of um, proton mail um, so all proton mail messages are private end-to-end -end because they use pgp encryption um, between them and that is a free open source encryption standard built by members and you know people adjacent to that cypherpunk movement mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first thing. But the, the, the second thing, sort of, you know, a money that was, uh, you know, free, private, et cetera, that, that was very, very hard to do. So multiple people tried it in the 90s. Um, there was people like Wei Dai. There was, you know, Adam Back. There was Nick Zabo. There was, um, there was multiple attempts. Um, uh, there was uh, Chomsky, no, not Chomsky, Chow, uh, something Chalm. Anyway, he was like one of the fathers of um, the internet. So, so they all attempted to, to create these, you know, private monies, but they all 
failed, they were all either, you know, in some way, shape or form, there was someone you could point to that was the founder of it. Um, you know, they, they got shut down. They were either private companies. They tried to compete with the ultimate monopoly, which was the fucking US dollar and US government. Um, they were too slow or cumbersome or they, they, just, they just didn't come together. And then in 2008, a, someone completely anonymous came out and issued what was called or known now as the Bitcoin white paper, which was basically eight pages of an explanation with some mathematical proofs around a concept of a money and a monetary network in one that could operate without the requirement for a central coordinator or a central authority um, and do so in a way where the, um, the integrity of the network was maintained through what's called proof of work, which most people know as mining, which is a expensive game of probability that gives you the right as a, um, as a network validator to uh, validate what transactions have happened on the network. Um, and what that does is like in, in, in return for doing so, you get paid by the currency of the network. So it's kind of this like self-fulfilling um, or self-reinforcing uh, incentive mechanism to, mm -hmm. to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. Um, and it was, it was a wild idea. Um, at, at that time in 2008, it was kind of, um, it was very interesting at that time, like people had kind of in the cypherpunk sort of circles had kind of seen a bunch of prior attempts at private money or at digital money kind of fail. And at that time they had kind of thought that, yeah, this is never going to happen. We're never going to fucking make this. Um, but then obviously also 2008 was happening, um, the whole global financial crisis, et cetera. And yeah, this, this person called Satoshi with, um, with early support from Hal Finney, who was, um, who was one of the really core cypherpunks. This guy was brilliant. Um, he kind of said, look, fuck, maybe this will work. Um, you know, we should all give it a go. So Hal Finney was the first person to receive some Bitcoin and also start mining some Bitcoin and then kind of grassroots organically, um, you know, other people found it, you know, um, Marty Malmi, who was this um, kid from Finland, decided to help Satoshi by putting the, um, the Bitcoin.org website up to help educate people and blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of like spread organically, you know, more people came to contribute to it because it's an open source, um, you know, project. And, it started getting the attention. And, and I think one, one of the first big attention points was like the WikiLeaks piece, which was, um, you know, they got, they got censored by um, Visa and MasterCard, basically. Um, the, you know, again, the government put pressure on Visa and MasterCard and said, do not allow these people to accept donations. And someone mentioned, hey, we can do it with Bitcoin. Um, and Satoshi at that time said, no, we don't need this fucking, um, uh, this kind of publicity at this point so like you know they didn't use it but um really the thing that enabled bitcoin to take off was silk road which i'll explain in a second but you're about to say something yeah well i'm about i thought it'd be a good opportunity because we haven't um really touched on just the concept actually of fiat money and mm -hmm. how it is uh like served by decree i thought maybe you could explore that a little bit and how that mm -hmm. lends itself to corruption in a way that um, you're explaining and paving the way to tell yeah, the story of how it, it's not present in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, you, you, you said the important word there, which is by decree. So, so the word fiat means to kind of, uh, um, there's a Latin term, which is um, 
uh, ex nihilo, so like to come from nothing or to come from decrees. So fiat money is something that is given value or people are told to value, not because we naturally or organically would find it valuable, but because we've been told. Mm-hmm. And that requires, by definition, an authority to tell you what is valuable and what is not. So, so it literally, by, by the nature of the relationship between those who decree and those who are decreed upon with this money, you actually have an overlord subject relationship. That's literally fiat money lays the foundation for basically a modern form of slavery is their decree is what we must uh, adopt as truth and reality, which when you look at an organic money, like gold, for example, was an organic money is that didn't happen. That didn't become money by decree. It happened because we were all looking for a way or an object that we could store the product of our labor better, something that was durable, portable, yada, 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 right? And that's literally what's happening with Bitcoin in real time at the moment is gold took a couple thousand years to become the global gold, you know, the, the monetary standard, but through organic emergence, right? Bitcoin's going to do that, but it's probably only going to take 50 years instead of 5,000 years. Like it's going to take all of that time and compress it in a narrow window because we're much more connected now. We're more advanced. Um, you know, information flows much quicker. Um, you know, Bitcoin is way more accessible than gold was, et cetera, et cetera. There's a series of reasons that will likely lead to more and more people organically adopting Bitcoin, not because some authority says that Bitcoin is money, but because people through sheer, through the sheer need to protect the product of their labor are going to look for something that is more stable, more portable, more durable, more divisible, and ultimately more scarce, which Bitcoin does perfectly. It's like fixed in supply. It's perfect scarcity. One of the questions, one of the questions I had for you, which I'll just drop now, but I mean, you're touching on is what does soy vaccines and fiat currency have in common? And it's, (laughs) it is that concept that it's the corrupted nature of forcing, you know, soy being a very unnatural aspect of diet vaccines an unnatural pursuit of, of health. And fiat currency, it's this like dystopian story we've been forced, like that's been forced down our throats about how life should be to achieve a certain goal. And really, it's nothing but the corruption of greed. Yeah, but it's it's not even, I would not even say it's greed because see, greed is very functional um, in a functional society, right? Like it is, it is this kind of like um, this... it's probably the shadow side of greed if anything it's like a fearful greed right um because like on a functional society where the incentives actually work um you know the the light side of greed is innovation it's like i want to do more with less and Mm -hmm. you know in in a functional society i'll create a product or a service that does so so um so yeah it's like it's really all these things are in common as you said it's like it's this fearful attempt by um, small people who think they're big to try and basically control something that is uncontrollable like life by nature is uncontrollable like you can control that which is dead like but you can't control that which is alive because like life by its very nature is um it's random right like and 
the randomness variable, like I've done a bunch of thinking around like, you know, what, what the hell is life and why does it exist? Because it's like anti-entropic in nature, like everything else kind of, um, you know, suffers from entropy, like that, it, that it sort of ends. And, and life is this thing that it's kind of anti-entropic. It moves in the opposite direction. It seems to, seems to create order from chaos somehow. And it's like this, it's like this weird random variable that kind of started at the beginning of the universe that has emerged into what we as human beings are today is like we're the edge of life Mm. and in our i guess hubris um we are attempting to like control life and the only way to control life is to sterilize it to the point where you know it's no longer you know this random variable in the universe it's this like measurable model that everything fits within and 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 that's part of like the fiat disease is um i mean you look at the very nature of fiat economics where it's keynesian or modern monetary theory or whatever other fucking horseshit has come up versus what the austrians kind of the austrian economics which is the closest thing to natural economics believes the austrian economists believe that an economy is something that you can't empirically measure what happens today is fundamentally and materially different to what happened yesterday and the day before and as a result you can't build a model to replicate something to test it and to empirically measure what an economy is so it's a complex system you must allow individuals at the periphery at the edge to make decisions on their own Mm -hmm. and the market ends up deciding organically versus you look at Keynesian economics and modern monetary theory, it's all full of fucking math and models mm-hmm. where they think that reality must fit this fucking model. And if it doesn't fit this model, we just ignore it because fuck it. Who cares about reality? This is real here. Like the, mm-hmm. f- for them, the map is the territory versus, you know, Austrian natural economics is the territory is the territory. And if we want to build a map, we want it to kind of as closely as possible resemble the territory. And in order to do that, the map building should happen in a localized fashion. Like everybody should have their own map um, and make their own decisions. And then you have a functional economy. Um, And the best way to do that is to allow people to be as free as possible. And again, you look at the other side of the equation is because everything has to fit in a model, because we need to be able to know the variables upfront so that we can measure and control the system, we must eliminate the capacity for individuals and constituents of that model to behave and act freely. Because if they do so, then there's shit that doesn't fit in the model. So let's just take away your rights, take away your freedom, take away this, take away that, take away all this sort of stuff so that it can fit within the nicely designed box that we have. And in doing so, we're going to move towards a world which literally sterilizes the life out of life. And, and this, this kind of, I guess, comes to the, you know, to the real point of like, what is Bitcoin versus, you know, what is everything else is that for me, like the line that will separate free individuals and, you know, the, 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 the freedom that humanity wants to embody versus, you know, the slavery of a, you know, perfectly controlled sanitized sterile dead system um, is those who hold bitcoin and those who will hold you know whatever other shit coin is available because remember money represents time energy resources and human action decision making um, like one is free one is controlled and sterile and sanitized like 
take your fucking pick. Um, and, and I mean, they're, they're two very different worlds. We can see at the moment the manipulation happening with governments, say, um, when it comes to money. If you, well, actually, and the technology, the communication, we can see it on social media. If you use the wrong word, if you suggest the wrong thing, you get censored, you get deplatformed. Um, I mean, it's getting ramped up pretty intensely in the world at the moment with people losing access to their banks. If they're, you know, not getting vaccinated, there's a lot of threats. It is definitely going in that direction. So this, um, be it encrypted communication or cryptocurrency, although not all cryptocurrency, I think we probably have a bit more talking to do before we get to other um, types of crypto coins and why they're actually a part of the problem as opposed to the solution. Um, but they give this, this, they give you back your freedom to say what you want to say and let, um, let like your own inner compass of morality autocorrect. So, um, I think it's Jordan Peterson who said this, that the solution to hate speech isn't no speech. It's, it's better speech. It's more communication. It's let's not censor something that is wrong. Let's actually talk it out and see um, because the suppression of anything only actually creates pathology and it doesn't actually um, free any individual. It just creates actors. It creates a world of actors mm -hmm. who are um, saying the right thing, according to like one narrative and doing the right thing, which of course is also has been corrupted. The, even the nature of bodily autonomy and all that stuff. So um, back to where you were about Bitcoin. So in the, the history of it, it's relatively new at the point which you're talking about, but it is spreading organically and it is um, decentralized, I guess, in nature because the person who created it disappears. Yeah, that's, yeah, so, 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 so to that point, so it's decentralized not only because Satoshi disappeared, like he, he did the most incredible thing that anybody has ever done um, in that, you know, he, he, created this and handed it over to us it's like and and that's it so 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 that like creates a situation where um you know the the previous incarnations of private digital money they had someone to throw in jail um or someone to blame or someone to you know do something with whereas satoshi they don't, they don't have anyone like um you know there's, there's a bunch of fucking retards out there who've come out trying to pretend to be satoshi like that idiot craig wright um you know, who's like part of, you know, BSV or whatever, like just this complete deranged fucking maniacs, right? It's hilarious. But, you know, Satoshi, Satoshi disappeared, in which case there's no head of the snake to cut off. So he basically turned Bitcoin into a hydra of, of sorts, like it's this thing that you can't turn off. But what really, really matters, and this is the interesting thing about Bitcoin, and this is the part that generally fries people's noodle, is, um, is that Bitcoin's like, like the person who runs Bitcoin is me. And it can just as easily be you. Um, and it's just as easily another 10 or 20 or, you know, 100, 200,000 million people, whatever, whatever it is out there that is running Bitcoin. And, and what Bitcoin really is, if you want to think about it, is it's a fucking constitution. Um, so that, that it's a, it's a, it's a program that is completely open that anybody can go in and look at anybody can change um, or anybody can choose to run um, in its in kind uh, in its existing incarnation and by being this kind of constitution of code and by the nature of 
all of us running the same version, we are actually in voluntary consensus. This is a really important thing to, to sort of uh, think about in terms of how governance of the world might change in the future is that, you know, you have this, instead of um, governance by decree, we have governance by voluntary involvement, which is, I look at Bitcoin and I say, yep, it's, um, it's you know, it's got this much hash rate, you know, these are the rules, 21 million Bitcoin every 10 minutes, you know, the two-week difficulty adjustment, like all the primary core functions and rules of Bitcoin. I choose to opt into that. And in doing so, I create another node on the network that this network just remains in consensus with. Now, if you turn around and say, look, I don't like the 21 million Bitcoin. I think there should be 42 million Bitcoin. I think we should double it. Um, you're actually free to go and do that. If you want to go do that, by all means, knock yourself out. But what you end up doing is you actually end up creating a copy of Bitcoin and you pop yourself on your own network by yourself. So through voluntary, you know, um, you know, the, the openness, Bitcoin's security comes in the form of its pure openness. And this is like a real like inversion of thought because when we think about security to date, whether it's physical or digital security, we think about hiding something behind a door that nobody can see. Bitcoin completely transforms and just opens itself and says, come and change me if you want to. Um, but you're going to have to convince everybody else to change with you, which defeats the purpose of what Bitcoin represents in the first place, which is a ruler who can change the rules. And that is the game set match of sort of Bitcoin's um, Bitcoin's difference and Bitcoin's um, immaculate conception is that it emerged organically, it got shared around organically, it created enough copies of itself, like a like a mind virus, such that the founder itself, you know, disappeared so that he was no longer influential in any way, and nothing could be blamed on a sing single point of failure. And to date, like we don't know how many fucking nodes of Bitcoin there are around the world that are running the exact same piece of software voluntarily. And there's been so much network effect that's happened and so much uh, capital and so much um, mining infrastructure and like billions upon billions upon billions of dollars of economic wealth, not just stored on it, but just sort of built around it. I would say trillions actually. Um, it's gotten to the point where something that started off as an idea has like matured to the point where it's now it's impossible to turn off. And notwithstanding that fact, like we're still 10 years into something that'll be here for thousands of years. So it's like, we're still fucking early, um, but we've passed the point of uh, no return. Like th this thing can't be shut off now. It can't be turned off. Like it's, it's, it's infected every layer of society. It's infected every layer of the internet. It's infected every, it's infected the, like the minds of millions of people around the world. Um, and it is kind of like it's in, it's infecting the, the fiat decree that has been, you know, decreed upon us um, by institutions that quite frankly, you don't care about us that just care about themselves. Um, and, and for me that that's just like, hugely powerful. So, so I guess to, to sort of tie that, um, that brain fart off, it's like, you know, Bitcoin is, is uncensorable and unstoppable. Um, and it is, you know, its attributes enable it to perfectly embody each function of money. Um, and as a result, it doesn't need to have a government organization or institution tell you that Bitcoin is better. 
Mm-hmm. It just is better. Um, and as a result, it'll organically win because, you know, just in the same way as someone might tell you that gravity is not real and that you should jump off the cliff. And maybe a few people will believe that. But over time, you know, once you see people splatting on the ground like fucking watermelons, you're not going to do that. You're going to want to, you know, get some wings before you jump off the thing, off the, off the gravity. So, so that's kind of like reality ends up prevailing in the end. The question is how many idiots kill themselves against, you know, trying to deny reality um, and how many people will be able to do the opposite, which is strengthen their position, economically speaking, whilst the rest of the world kind of fucks themselves over voluntarily um, by listening to bureaucrats. So, and, and that's sort of where we are with Bitcoin. So um, a lot of people think they've missed the boat with Bitcoin. And that's definitely something I used to think too. You think um, I'm looking at the price at the moment is 46,300. It's actually dropped quite a bit in the past. Maybe we can touch on that at some point, Um, but it's dropped quite a bit. It's still extremely expensive. So to buy one Bitcoin um, with, I think that's US dollars, you're spending 46, Mm -hmm. over 46,000 US dollars. And a lot of people think that's crazy. You're getting one thing, one unit of a thing for $46,000. I can't afford that. I don't have 46 grand in the bank. Like, you know, I've missed that boat. But something you've taught me is that it, it's actually not a boat to be missed. The concept, and correct me or maybe fill in the blanks, is that Bitcoin is the solution to, um, it's, it's the revolution we're looking for in terms of it should be the currency we all use. And it's, it's, there's never a too late because the goal is that we operate from this place of using Bitcoin and Satoshis are the denomination, the smaller denomination of Bitcoin that kind of go quite, not indefinitely, but there's quite um, a long lower denominations. And so the sooner you get on board, um, you're being rewarded for investing in something early but ultimately it will just be the currency satoshis will be the currency that we operate in and the people yeah, who got on board earlier will benefit more from it as they do adopting new things in general um but there is no missing the boat and maybe you can elaborate on other other um crypto coins there's a lot of much cheaper ones and people are trying to make money off of them but they're actually no different than are they they just are fiat currency they are um a copy of so you were explaining actually listen you talk about i think ethereum was one of the ones you elaborated on and i'll let you do the talking um but that if people try and change bitcoin they can make a copy of it because it's all open source but they're essentially creating a new coin mm-hmm. it's not bitcoin anymore because yeah. for bitcoin to actually change everyone who's running a node you run nodes, anyone can run a node on their computer or whatever, um, has to come together and agree. And because everything's encrypted, you actually don't even know who runs nodes. It's never changing. The rules to Bitcoin are fixed. The supply is fixed. Um, you know what game you're playing. No one's printing Bitcoin at a crazy rate. It's just, is all these things are impossible. And so when mm-hmm. people want to come in and try and change something, they can create a a whole new coin. They can create an Ethereum, they can create a Cardano. And a lot of people think, well, that's more affordable. I can, you know, I can afford that. So they'll buy into another coin, but someone is managing that coin, an individual Mm -hmm. or a group of individuals or a business are actually just 
printing money in the form of uh, cryptocurrency. So un, like not a physical thing, it's in um, you know, the cyber world. Um, but it's almost crazier than participating in the paper money because you're giving, I, I've heard Trump is now issuing his own, um, his own coin, which I mean, I don't know how I feel about him. Some things I'm like, that's interesting. Some things I'm terrified, but it doesn't actually matter how you feel about the person issuing. It's a, it's a person. People are flawed. People make mistakes. People are corruptible. And the power of Bitcoin is actually that there is no one individual making a decision anymore. It is a thing that we can use to exchange our energy that is uncorruptible, whereas every other coin is actually just an individual saying, hey, trust me, trust me over the government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you nailed it. You nailed it, literally. Like you, you, you absolutely nailed it. Like Bitcoin's innovation that I don't think many people understand, but I think you've had that light bulb moment is that it just takes money and it does, doesn't try and like, you know, it's not about making money digital, making money faster. It, mm. Bitcoin's innovation is taking money and placing it in the realm of the, physical laws of the universe right you and i can't change the speed of light we can't change the laws of thermodynamics we can't change gravity we can't do any of that so what we do is we find ways to use those laws and work within those bounds um you know we can't make time go backwards time goes forwards right so we use all these bounds and we make the, the best of it that that's what we do so bitcoin just recognizes the fact that money is like the the collaborative technology that enables us to, you know, make sense of the fact that we have finite time, finite resources, finite energy. And, and um, we have, it, we live in a intersubjective world where we all value things subjectively differently. Mm -hmm. And that complexity needs to somehow have a language um, for it in for it to to exist for it to you know to enable communications and and that's really like the um the innovation of bitcoin is it's like all right you you in your own localized um hierarchy can be the most important person um but and you can be the most productive person you can be the you know the biggest asshole you can do whatever the fuck you want to do be free to do whatever you want to do but you're never going to have the capacity to uh, tweak the scorecard of life, mm -hmm. uh, which is money. Like we're all going to play the same fucking game and then may the best man win kind of thing. So, so it's the only, like I almost view it as, you know, people talk about, and even Peterson talks about this is like, you know, we need, we need to focus on a quality of opportunity, not a quality of outcome. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, I agree with that, but I mean, equality of opportunity is also a fucking pipe dream that assumes like that, we're all somehow going to be born to the, to the same parents with the same needs, with the same skills, with the same thing, with the same resources. It's never going to happen. We're all fucking different. So quality of opportunity. Also, how terrible would life be if that was the case? It'd be carbon, we'd be carbon copies of one another. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. Which, which by definition wouldn't be life. Like mm -hmm. we would actually then move towards non-life. Right. So, so, so equality of opportunities that doesn't fly, but what we could do is we could have, um, inequality opportunity in the dimension of the way we measure the value in our input 
Um, so, so, and that's like an equality of language. So that's the closest we will ever get to, to, to playing a fair game. Because I think the essence of those who call for an equality of opportunities, um, they want to play a fair game. And that's what they're saying. We, we should all be, we should all have the right to play a fair game. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only fair game is the economic fair game. There is no other fair game. Like we are fundamentally going to be born at different times in different ways to different people in different locations. There's no fucking fairness there. That's the roll of the dice, but we can all play a fair game by taking the cut, the hand that we've been dealt and play by the same fucking rules. Can you touch a bit on um, either Ethereum or XRP, some of these coins and the people behind them and some of the manipulation that's been going on um, yeah. Much like the stock market, basically, we see in the bailing out of, of big players. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like, I mean, Ethereum as an example, like, you know, there's the 70% pre-mine. Um, I mean, they created a coin. They kept most of it for themselves. Um, they issued 30% of it to the market. Um, and, you know, they say this is the founder reward, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, you know, and... And again, that's fine if you're running a business. Like by all means, you know, you run a business. There's no, there's no even need to issue anything to fucking anyone if you don't want to. You can be a benevolent dictator. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You know, it's private property, and that might be your business. But to try and conflate that with, um, with money, which is something that nobody should be able to issue in the first place defeats the purpose of, you know, the reason for existence for something like Ethereum. Now, some people say, yeah, but Ethereum solving a different problem. You know, it's not trying to be money like Bitcoin is. Well, that statement is only true insofar as we look at what time frame the Ethereum narrative is going through, right? Like, so in the last six months, the Ethereum, maybe it was NFTs, maybe before that, the, the Ethereum t- uh, narrative was ultrasound money. Bitcoin is sound money, but Ethereum's ultrasound money, you know, like all this fucking horseshit, right? They just continue changing the narrative. And the fact that they can change the narrative from the top just literally tells you that, I mean, it's it's basically a company um, mm-hmm. or, a, you know, they try and call themselves a foundation that is issuing their own money and just changing the narrative as to what this network does every six months. When they first came out, it was supposed to be a world computer. I fucking realized that didn't work. Then they did um, crypto kitties. Oh, sorry. Well, they did ICOs or whatever. Then, you know, that turned out to be a big fucking scam um, because then everybody was just printing their own money. Then they did crypto kitties. Then they did fucking DeFi, you know, like, and there was this interview the other day. It's like $10.5 billion worth of value has been lost on DeFi over the last 12 months. It's like, congratulations, you fucking morons. Like, you know, this is, you know, what your, this is your innovation. Like there's people starving to death mm-hmm. and this is the definition of innovation for these fucking monkeys. Um, you know, and then now it's fucking NFTs, which is literally, um, you know, Gigi said this really well on Twitter. He said, um, NFTs are everything you don't understand about cryptography and everything you don't understand about art rolled into one. <laughs> like, I can't even go there. I actually can't. The, the NFT thing, I can't even like, it's so confusing to me conceptually how we've even reached that point. I can't, we'll have to save that for another time. Um, it's, it's just, it's just fiat upon fiat upon fiat, right? It's like, so there's just mindless idiots running around, like, you know, NFTs are just literally the conflation of digital signatures with art. Like that's all it is. So, and what it's doing is degenerating anyone who was good at art um, into becoming a fiat artist who just draws a fucking stupid JPEG 
um, and sells it to one idiot for a bunch of money. And then that idiot who bought it has a very hard time selling it to the next idiot um, and hopes that there is another greater fool. But in doing so, they create this horizontal market with no depth or liquidity. So it's like kind of, at least the ICOs were fungible tokens. So there was like liquidity in the market, whereas these are non-fungible. So it's like completely horizontal. It's going to be, th th this is the definition of a fucking tulip bubble. Um, but I mean, they're all, they're all under the cover. They're all the same. It's, it's a, all economic networks, a government or govern, uh, governance networks. That's really what they are. Um, mm. and, and that's what Ethereum is like, that's what a government is. A government can only, um, have power insofar as it can issue its own money. Um, if it cannot issue its own money, it is then subservient to another form of government. Um, mm. who does the issuing of money and then they beg for you know beg and borrow for loans and shit like that so so these these networks whether xrp whether ethereum whether cardano whether dogecoin whether whatever is uh they are all economic networks with some sort of attempt at the issuers running their own governance model um with dreams of um you know grandeur where they will basically you know own everything and you'll own nothing and be happy like that that's kind of the, the situation i mean it, that's the irony is it is perpetuating this whole agenda like the freedom the concept that crypto is the future is actually not at all the case bitcoin is like as you've referred to it as noah's ark and everything else is really just perpetuating the problem um, yeah, every, everything else is an attempt to use the fiat mentality we've got now to gain advantage over others. And you actually said it you, as you were talking about Ethereum for the first time just then is you said it would be fine if it was for a business. It is a business. Essentially, all other shit coins other than Bitcoin are businesses. They are running, but they're selling you nothing. They're selling a promise. <laughs> They're selling you a promise that what you buy is going to be worth more at some point. And like any stocks, it's very volatile and odds are you're going to lose all your money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literally, literally. Um, at, at, at least at least real businesses um, are producing some sort of product, right? Mm -hmm. Like irrespective of, you know, like let's take away the derangement of society because like as society becomes deranged and as all the pricing signals um, distort and as incentives are distorted, businesses go and create things that the market doesn't actually need but the 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 market is attempting to self-correct itself right mm -hmm. so like for example you know i was in colombia or i'm in colombia and you know i was walking down the street and you know there's street sellers selling fucking face masks like you know but but th this is this is the market trying to to adapt and it's like when you when you inject the poison into the market by decree you know, mm -hmm. it will try and route around and function around that, you know, poison now. So what's probably happened to this poor fucking street vendor is no one's out there eating fucking food because they're not out enjoying themselves because they're fucking too afraid to go out and breathe oxygen. So he's like, shit, maybe I'll sell fucking masks. I need to eat. So, so that, that driver is, you know, um, what creates almost deformed versions and like the deformed versions of products and services and businesses. And like, you look at, um, I mean, you know, there's Worldcoin was just a classic example of like the the absolute fucking hubris of Silicon Valley. So Sam Altman, who's one of the founders of, um, I think it's uh, Y Combinator, which is you know where everyone from like Uber and Airbnb and everyone came out of, right? Like it's the it's the biggest, most well known accelerator in um in the US. 
And, you know, he got behind a project called WorldCoin where, you know, WorldCoin was going to issue, it was going to be like, they, they literally, the, the headline was a, a fair money for the people, for everyone in the world. Everyone's going to get a single token and it's going to be distributed to everyone. And um, in order to claim your token, you had, they had this orb, um, which would like scan your iris um, and like, you know, create a, a, a digital ID for you. Mm. Um, and then that's how you interact with the network. So it was like proof of, um, I think they called it like um, proof of ID or something like that, or proof of identification or proof of human or some shit like that. Right. I'm trying to take a spin on proof of work. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you dig into the details um, of the, you know, of the coins that are being issued, you know, everyone gets one coin. Um, the the world coin group gets um, 10% of all the coins and the investors also get 10%. So it's like the same yeah. fucking thing all over again. Um, so like, you know, and, and this is where, again, Bitcoin just differs so much. It's like Bitcoin's fair distribution was in the fact that it's unequal. Um, and this rubs people the wrong way um, because they're like, oh, you know, they, they, they conflate fairness and equality. You know, fairness is that something gets introduced and people find it of their own accord. Um, it's not equally fucking distributed. Um, it is it is acquired by those who want to acquire it and who either, you know, uh, find it through pain or find it through curiosity simple as that like that that's the path to bitcoin which is completely and utterly fair versus some notion of equality which is i the overlord of the people am going to decree that each of you are going to get one coin while i get the rest of them so it's like yeah anyway it's just there's a lot of very um, different philosophy there's a lot of fear i think around the concept that if the internet crashes your money disappears but I mean, at this point, even with paper money, we're living in a pretty, well, I mean, I'm in Mexico right now. I'm seeing cash for the first time in a long time, um, having been living in Europe, in Canada and in Australia, there, there's a huge push for the cashless society, which is of course a part of this whole like, you know, new world order um, agenda. But we live in a relatively cashless society. That is like a reality of modern world. We live in a technological world for better or worse. So if the internet crashes, we're all fucked. Like whether your money is in your, your comm bank or whether it's in, you know, at that point, I think that's almost a non-issue for people like that fear around, um, investing in Bitcoin. If the internet crashes, Totally. If the internet, everything is so dependent on the internet now, we lose communication, yeah. we lose electricity, we lose fucking airplanes fall out of the sky. Fucking, it's all game set match. Your fridge, all the food in your fridge goes off. Like gone. Supply you, chains are gone. Yeah. Forget the forget the fucking supermarket. It's done. Done. Yeah. Everything's fucking done. So, so the thing is, the, the, there's two points. I'll just quickly tie on that yeah. on the outsides of it is number one is bitcoin won't actually stop um what will happen is bitcoin will pause um assuming that you know everything goes down but bitcoin's ledger is still stored um and as soon as we reactivate any energy um infrastructure um bitcoin continues where it left off again um so so bitcoin being information is not dependent on the internet if anything, the internet is just the most um, uh, the most robust and uh, it's the 
it's the broadest, most robust, and most um, fast communication medium of all, right? Bitcoin could run on Morse code. Bitcoin can run on radio waves. Bitcoin can run on pieces of paper that you and I pass to each other. Um, it's fine. Bitcoin can still technically run that. But at that point, it's not a very scalable solution, right? So at that point, what, we're, what we would end up doing is we would end up running Bitcoin locally um, on our own chains um, in a local capacity um, mm -hmm. in order to subsist. So the, the, um, the size of the communication medium will help determine the scalability of Bitcoin. Um, and, and that's really the only factor. But Bitcoin doesn't disappear. It just means that Bitcoin becomes far more local uh, in the absence of the internet, but so does everything else. Um, that's one piece. The other piece, though, is what people don't really understand about the internet is the internet is also a complex system. And it's almost basically impossible to also shut down because the way the internet is built, it's like a, it's a dumb packet routing service. And all it does is it just routes packets through nodes around the world. So you could you could hit the internet with a fucking baseball bat. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, it routes around these problems. So the internet being the complex system that it is, the only way to, to turn it all off would be for some sort of absolute fucking coordinated turn off of every single fucking node, every single internet service provider, every single everything uh, in the world. And that is so fucking unlikely um, other than maybe an asteroid hitting us or we all drop the bombs on ourselves. But even with dropping the bombs on ourselves, I mean, I'm pretty sure the internet is like uh, nuclear winter um, resistant in that mm. sense. I mean, that's what it was built for. Like the, the whole point of creating a mesh packet, uh, data packet routing network um, was so that if someone blew up, you know, comms in one particular location, communication could route around it. So, yeah, that that idea um, is a very is a very moot point. But like you said, in each scenario, yeah. Number one, the internet likely doesn't turn off. If it does turn off, you better have fucking chickens, chickens and fucking lead because you know that's what you're gonna you need some food and some protection. Um, and even in that scenario, Bitcoin becomes local, um, so we can potentially use it locally, um, or you just hold it until we you know are able to come out of the dark ages and then we're back on bitcoin anyway so so we've talked why bitcoin um i think there's the how bitcoin piece but i'm checking the time how much time do you have left i do need to run in like a couple minutes so how about we do a part two all righty that's it for today um I hope you enjoyed the abrupt beginning and abrupt ending. I'm definitely still getting the hang of recording without a proper space, without a proper mic, but things are settling down well here in Mexico for me. As of January, I'll have a very quiet and peaceful space. I will have a microphone again and I will get back to regular uninterrupted recording with hopefully much stronger internet so um i hope you enjoyed part one part two will be coming out soon so stay tuned bye for now